If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. We're actually going to start at verse 13. Joshua 24, starting at verse 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river, excuse me, and in Egypt, um, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in which land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And who did these great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before all the peoples, the Amorites, who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and, and do you harm and consume you. And having done you good, and the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will, will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law, the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord um, that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. I have a distant relative who has really been struggling for the last four or five years. His marriage went down the tubes. None of his daughters want anything to do with him. While he's got a number of issues that he's struggling with, I I think the biggest issue that he's got is himself. He's got this victim mentality mindset and he won't take responsibility for his life. He won't take responsibility for making changes in it. It's always everybody else's fault. This thinking, I think, has almost paralyzed him. And and it, it keeps him from ever doing anything to better himself. Listen to this uh, um, definition of what I mean by this, victim mentality. 
First, it's a belief that the bad things that happened in your life are not, not your fault, and so you're not responsible for, the, for your actions and attitudes. It's not your fault. Second, a victim mentality includes a negative thought pattern, which leads to a woe is me kind of self-pity. Third, the victim mentality sees the world through the lens of your own personal struggles. Whatever happens in the world, the victim mentality sees those things as being right against you. It's not just that you're in this world and these things are happening, but it's against you specifically. This mindset can actually be traced, I think, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? As part of the fall. When you look at Genesis 3, who did Adam and Eve blame for their sin? Well, they played the victim. Adam says, well, Lord, it's the woman. She's the one to blame. Then the woman said to the serpent, he's the one, to, he's the one that, that, that tempted me. He's the one to blame. Adam blames his wife. Eve blames the serpent. But it's interesting exactly what Adam says here in verse 12 in, in Genesis 3. He says, the woman that you gave to be with me. He says this to God. And so who is Adam and ultimately blaming? God. I think there's a growing trend in America to see everyone as victims who are not responsible for their actions. As a result, we become, I think, blind to our mistakes, wanting instead to, to blame someone for our behavior and not take ownership of it. Charles Coulson writes that in our country, we have changed from acknowledging that we are a sinner needing forgiveness to whining that we are victims in need of understanding. Number of the parables. Jesus challenged his, his people to be ready for the master's return. And you might remember the one parable about the foolish uh, virgins and, and the wise ones. And some of the virgins, they, they weren't prepared when, when the bridegroom came late at night. And so they had to run out and they, they missed his coming. And, and so Jesus' point is you got to be ready, you have to be prepared. You can have the best excuse as to why you weren't ready that day, but it's not going to count because we are called to be prepared to live our lives for the Lord. We're accountable for our choices. We're accountable for the way we live our lives. The choices you make in your life, they matter. And not only are they going to affect your life, but they are going to affect the next generation. That's why I think it's important that we hear Joshua's challenge to us this morning. He challenges us to, to commit our lives to the Lord and really to get off the fence. I think too many Christians are, are content to just be lukewarm in their faith, to be lukewarm in their service to the Lord, to be lukewarm in, in their giving. But God doesn't want us to be lukewarm. He wants us to be either hot or cold. We're tempted to follow God when it's to our advantage, but God demands our total allegiance. Our total allegiance. He wants our all. He wants us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. And that's why Joshua challenges the people to, to choose carefully whom they will, they will serve, whom they will live for. Even our, our children and our grandchildren, they're going to be blessed or hindered 
by our faith, depending on, on what they see. And so parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, just adults in this church, the children are looking to us. And when they look at us, what do they see? Do they see us walking in faith? Do they see us living for the Lord? Or do we really live for a lot of other things and just come to church on Sunday? In our text, Joshua is at the end of his life. The Lord's soon going to be calling him home. During his life, he's been a father, he's been a counselor, he's been a leader of God's people. And just as a father wants only what's best for his children, so that's true with Joshua as well. You might say he's about to kick the Israelites out of the nest. They're about to go into the promised land and and to claim it and to make it their own. Chapters 23 and 24, Joshua shares with his people some final words of encouragement. Things they should know by now, but they kept forgetting. And they will continue to keep forgetting. And the framework of everything he's saying to them is in the context of the covenant. Or a covenant renewal ceremony. We don't right away pick that up, but that's the framework of, of these chapters. Let me remind you quickly what a covenant is. A covenant is a formal agreement between a king and, and those that, that he's planning to make his subjects. In this case, God and his people. And all the, the parts of the covenant are laid out in, the, in this chapter. The preamble in verse 2. The historical prologue is found in, in verses 2 through 13. The stipulations or responsibilities, those are found in verses 14 through 24. And the blessings and curses are given throughout the chapter, but I think especially you see that in, in, in verse 20. And to help prepare God's people to make this important decision, Joshua reminds the people first of God's past faithfulness. And that's the first 13 verses of, of this chapter. Joshua says, look at what God has done for you. Sixteen times in in those 13 uh, verses, you find the words I followed by a verb. And the person I refers to is is God. He's the one who's speaking. Let me read some of them. Verse 3, I took, I gave. Verse 4, I gave. Verse 5, I sent, I plagued, I did, I brought. Verse 6, I brought. Verse 8, I fought. Verse 11, I delivered. Verse 13, I gave you a land on which you had not labored. And cities that you did not build for you to dwell in them. Basically, Joshua is saying, you know your past history as well as I do. You can remember God's faithfulness. And so he says, remember. Remember how God has been there for you every step of the way, making you this great nation. Remember. All those things that happened in the past, in the desert, claiming the promised land. That was God's doing. He used you, but it was God's doing. You were partners with God. In all those battles, and in, in, in the great victory that, that was won there, it was all done in the power of God, in his strength. It was due to his goodness, his mercy, his love, his gentleness, his kindness. God was doing all those things for his own honor and glory. I think this, is, this was true in Joshua's day just as it's still true today. It's just as the doxology proclaims. 
and that we sang before, praise God from whom all blessings flow. It comes from our Father in heaven. When we look back at the last 150 years of this church, we can see God's hand of blessing upon all that's, that's been done. From the handful of families that God used to establish the church here in this place, and then later to the various building projects that this congregation has had, God has been at work through us, through his people. God has been faithful. And like I said, he's done this in partnership with us. He calls us to be his hands and feet. He calls us to use our gifts, our talents. He calls us to use our treasure. And the reason we can do these things is because we believe that God will continue to provide, just as he's provided in the past. And he's going to take the little that we give, and just like the, the five loaves and the two fish that the little boy brought to Jesus, that's what God does with our gifts. He takes them, he blesses them, he multiplies them, and suddenly they're sufficient to meet the needs of those around us, not only within the body, but within our community. When you think about God's covenant faithfulness and love, how should we express our our gratitude to the Lord? And I think the thing that, that Joshua returns to over and over again is the idea of obedience of walking obedient, obediently before the Lord. Verse 14, Joshua says, Fear the Lord, serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness with all your heart, and follow him alone. He says, instead of listening to the voices of the world around you, you need to listen to God's voice. You need to fill your mind with his word. And that means once and for all, you need to get rid of anything that's holding you back in your faith any idol that you might have in your life, anything that comes before God. Back in 1929, the University of California was playing against Georgia Tech in the Rose Bowl. It was a scoreless game when Georgia Tech fumbled at the 15-yard line. The ball was picked up by a center by the name of Roy Regals, who because of his position, he normally never ran with the ball. Well, Regal picked up the ball, And he started to run. He eluded two players, saw clear running space, and with every muscle in his body, he started to run. He raced for the goal line 65 yards away. The only problem was he was running toward his own end zone. Even though his teammates were yelling at him to stop, he thought they were cheering him on. During his run, he even had one of his teammates running after him yelling, You're going the wrong way! He said later, despite everything that everyone was saying, because he was so focused on reaching that that end zone, that he, he just dismissed it. He thought they were cheering for him, that he was running so fast. He denied the truth that he saw so clearly later. It was finally at the one yard line that one of his teammates brought him down. And the next play, the other team scored a safety. And even though this fellow was a decent player up to that point, from then on, the media wouldn't let him forget it. And whenever anyone ran the wrong way on the field, it became known as the wrong way regal. 
That's how people remember this player. What happened to Roy Regal that day? It's called Instincts Without Direction. In that, in, in that life-changing chase for glory, Regal simply followed his instincts, and he ran. But because he lost his orientation, he ended up going the wrong way. And that split-moment decision, what he thought was right, ended up being the source of, I think, lifelong regret. And people never let him forget that. I don't think this is really that bad of an illustration, a metaphor for what happens to a lot of Christians. They're following the Lord. They have faith. They're living their lives for Him, but then they start to lose their orientation. They start to lose their direction. And just as a a boat gets tossed around in, in the waves when it doesn't have a rudder, So it is with our faith when we lose our direction. This is what Israel did over and over again. One generation would repent and turn to the Lord, but the next generation, they'd forget. And so they'd fall into the same old pattern. And they start making the same mistakes that their forefathers did. And when God is not your first love, it's easy to allow other lovers to become more important in your life. And I think, sadly, this is still true today. Which means it's up to us to invite the next generation to follow the Lord with us. We need to teach the next generation how to use their treasure and time and talents. We need to show them how to, to use those things for God's glory. How do you guard yourself against going the wrong way? How do you guard yourself against losing your bearings or direction? It's it's by choosing to serve the Lord each day. It's by choosing to follow the Lord each day. Each day we need to examine our life with the Word of God and see if we're really going in the right direction or if we've gotten sidetracked and we're starting to lose our way. Every day you need to examine your passions and desires to see if You really love the Lord your God, again, with all your heart, soul, and mind. And when you allow God to give the direction in your life instead of, I think, your sinful desires, that's when you open yourself up to the blessings of God. We give not just because we think God's going to give us material things in return. We give out of gratitude. But the promise that God gives us is that when we do give faithfully of our time, our talents, our treasure, God will bless us in return. Not just with material things, but all kinds of things. He blesses our life, blesses our family, blesses the ministry that we do here in this place. Because God rewards those who choose to seek first the kingdom of God and walk in obedience before him. Joshua says in verse 14, Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Joshua was making a choice for himself and for his family. For Joshua, that was the only choice that he could make. He couldn't see himself doing any other thing. It's interesting that the verb, that tense that Joshua uses here in in, in that verse, 
It's not a one-time choice or a one-time decision, but it's something that you continue to make each and every day, sometimes many times a day. I choose to serve the Lord. I'm not going to go to the right. I'm not going to go to the left. I choose to serve the Lord. I'm going to walk in His ways. I'm going to live my life for His honor and glory. Francis Schaeffer writes, it's as if Joshua had said, I have chosen to serve the Lord. I'm choosing the same path of service now, and I will go on choosing to serve God until the very end. It's a daily choice that Joshua had to make. It's a daily choice that we need to make. In the end, Israel celebrated God's faithfulness through their commitment and obedience. They celebrated God's faithfulness. What about us? We're the next generation. It's our turn to make a stand, to take that step of faith, to allow God to use us, our talents, our time, our treasure, to build up this church family, but also so that we can reach out to our community effectively. Like Nate showed us before, it's having the right tools. And when you do, we can accomplish so much. We're being given an incredible opportunity to meet the needs of the next generation. And we need to have that vision. It's not just about us. It's not about our pocketbooks. It's about looking forward and and seeing our kids and, and wanting them to be blessed in this place through the church, through this ministry. And so... This morning, we've got to be willing to take a step of faith, just like our forefathers did. We need to put our trust in the Lord, believing that he's going to do just as he said. He's going to keep his promises. And so you don't have to hold on to your money. You don't have to hold on to your wealth, but you can freely give it away because God's going to take care of you. God's going to provide for all your needs. It really is an act of faith. We need more Peters who are willing to get out of the boat. Not just hang on to the side of the boat, but to actually get out of the boat and walk on water with Jesus. We need those kind of believers today who walk in faith. Tony Campalo writes in his book, Growing Up in America, our teenagers aren't leaving us because we've asked too much. They're leaving our churches because we've asked too little. They need believers who are willing to make a stand and say, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. Our forefathers showed us what love and commitment were all about. Now it's our time to proclaim through our words and deeds what it means to serve the Lord. This is a call of the gospel. This is what it means to follow Jesus. I pray in response to Joshua's question that we will each be able to say, but as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your love. And Father, just as the Israelites made this commitment to you, we pray this morning that we will do the same. And we'll put our trust in you, our faith in you. Father, as we we think about the, the future, 
as we face the challenges, Lord, help us not to be overwhelmed by it, but may we be excited about all that you're doing and that you're going to do. And we pray, Lord, that as individuals, as families, we might choose this day whom we're going to serve, and that's you, Lord, that we might put you first, that you might be our first love. And may that be evident in all that we do. May it be evident also in the way we give. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.